Hello, everyone, and welcome to Special Ed Rising, No Parent Left Behind. I'm your host, Mark Ingracia, and I've been an active member in the field of special education for 35 years as a classroom teacher, tutor, parent trainer, consultant, and advocate. Thank you so much for joining me. This is a podcast for parents and caregivers of children along the spectrum of disabilities as an information hub and promoter for the advancement of people with disabilities in all areas of life. So if you're interested in learning about topics from the world of exceptional needs, educational services, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition for you and your child, and more, this is the place for you. If you like the show, please subscribe, like, comment, and tell your friends about it. And for some extra help to inform your journey, visit the resource page of my website, specialedrising.com. I would love to feature your success stories on the show, so if you'd like to contribute, please send them to my email so we can show the world what's possible. In this episode, I'm delighted to be speaking with Jenny Tillery. Jenny holds a BA in Spanish from North Carolina Central University and a JD from Western Michigan University Cooley Law School. She's a member of the District of Columbia Bar and Maryland Bar. Ms. Tillery has spent the majority of her legal career practicing in special education law. Prior to joining the law firm of Michael J. Eigen Associates, she worked as a supervising attorney for D.C.'s Children Law Center, representing low-income families in the areas of special education, housing, and health care. Ms. Tillery has also trained and mentored pro bono attorneys in special education cases. She has previously served as the President of Special Needs Excellence and Underserved Students Advisory Board, S-E-E-U-S, and the co-chairperson for the Special Education Attorneys Roundtable, SEAR, S-E-A-R, in Washington, D.C. Jenny was a presenter at the Weg Diamonds in the Rough conference this past October, where she examined systematic inequalities in special education and discussed strategies to address these disparities, ensuring that all students with special needs have equal access to quality education and support. And if you're interested, you can still access the presentations at wegadvocacy.com slash diamonds pricing. I'll add the link to my resource page. Now please join me in welcoming Jenny Tillery to the podcast for another win. Hello, Jenny. Welcome. How are you? Good. How are you, Mark? <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very well. It's such an honor to have you on the program. And Thank I'm you. really excited to talk about this subject today. Before we start, I wanted to ask you something that's just a little bit off the uh, conversation topic today. And I wanted to ask you if you could share with the audience something about you that people may not know about you that's different from your profession as an attorney. Sure. Uh, one thing that's different about me that you wouldn't know is that I'm also a stand-up comedian. I've been a stand-up comedian for nine years, actually. Wow. And uh, so it's really fun. It's way different than what uh being a lawyer is like um you know so yes that's something very different i love it uh and i try to perform as much as i can so yeah that's so great do you get a lot of material from being an attorney <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's there's material and then there's stuff that's like you'll have to wait till you're not practicing to do some of these jokes <laughs> so you got some really good stuff coming down the road here Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Well, I have seen a little bit of your act on YouTube and stuff, and, and I'm very interested in seeing more and promoting you to people to tell them, encourage them whenever they get an opportunity to go see you if they can. Yeah, and thank if, you. Yeah, and if not, to look you up on, on the internet and check out some of your stuff. There were some jokes that just put me on the floor. And, uh... <laughs> I tried. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so... really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we'll have to have you on another time as the comedian and yeah. the attorney. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, definitely. <laughs> great. I would imagine it's so it's such a breath of fresh air to be able to do something like that to balance because what you do is heavy, you know, and yes. I would imagine um, it takes you into some some pretty dark places at times. And I feel like we always have to find, if we can, that that thing that gives us that light to balance our yes. lives. And so I'm happy for you that you have such a wonderful outlet. And, Thank uh, you. Yes, definitely. It's it's a great outlet, and it's nice to have like that creative freedom. It's not as, you know, you don't have to be as conservative as you are as an attorney and it is a serious. Yeah. And so it's nice to have that outlet when you can laugh. And I honestly feel like it makes me healthier because, you, you know, if you go to a comedy show, you laugh, laughing makes, helps you feel better. You know, sure, I feel course. like laughing comedy adds to my life. Um, so it gives me that extra oomph to get through things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. I love the creative outlet. <laughs> We're going to now dive into something that necessarily isn't on the comedy tip. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, I saw you present at uh, Wegg's Diamonds in the Rough, and I was really impressed with your knowledge. I think that people are going to have some uh, eyes and ears opened to some realities today that I hope yep. will make some movement in special education to help blacks and people of color. And um, I think that... Uh, it's not something that, I mean, when I was doing some of the research, some of the things that I found out, some of the things I kind of knew or had an idea about, but then you kind of, you read the reality of the situation and it's, it's very stark. So yeah. I'm looking forward to shedding some light for people. My first question is basically, it starts historically where <laughs> black students have been over, overrepresented in special education in the U.S. since the Office of Civil Rights first started to sample school districts in 1968. What do you think is the reason for such a disparity? Can you talk to that? I mean, I, I think there's several things that factor into that. But I think the number one driving factor has to do with implicit, explicit bias. You know, we all know in this country that there's racism. You know, mm -hmm. that's not a secret. But right. I think the way it permeates into just different areas, including education, has, is the starting point for why there's this disproportionality in um, Black people, people of color that are getting, um, you know, kind of just pushed into special education. Um, I think that there is a, there's bias around socioeconomic status, children in poverty, families in poverty that, you know, also are Black, also are pers people of color, and there's a negative, there's a negative stereotype about a person who can't, you know, who lives in poverty, what, you know, and then you add on the color thing. I think that people don't necessarily realize how much we are influenced by just living in this country, how much the, the different images we get 
the, the different belief systems that have been developed through our family members, through people that we know over year, over the years and over the years. And mm -hmm. that that's in a lot of different areas, but it also is in education. And I'll give you an example of outside of education. Um, me as a lawyer, there's only about four or five percent black lawyers in the country. If I go, I've had this happen more than one time. I can go to the courthouse. I can be dressed in a complete dressed suit with a <laughs> holding of 10 files and I could be standing next to, you know, someone who doesn't, who has on jeans and those, and I've had um, people come up to the person next to me and say, you, are you the attorney, right? And wow. it's like, I'm the attorney. Why did you think that that person was the attorney and not right. me? You know, why I'm clearly mm -hmm. am. And so there's, in, and I'm, you know, people do that. I've had not just um, white people do that to me. I've had black people do that to me in the courthouse. And, it, no. you know, and it's like, oh, you're, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're the attorney, you know? Oh. And so we, as just in this country have just been, we all are influenced by our biases, our biases. And I think it starts with dismantling those things. Um, mm -hmm. But because that really hasn't happened that's, I think, contributes to why there's this disproportionality and right. just saying, you know, if you're a person of color, if you are a black person, there's no, there's not enough cultural competence, cultural humility, cultural knowledge to say, oh, this kid needs to be identified. Why? What's right. that base, based on? You know, and then there's just so many different layers. You think about how do you get into special education evaluation, um, data from teachers, grades, behavior, mm -hmm. um, all of these things factor into how a child is identified. And if you're just looking at, here comes this black little boy who who acts up in class, he needs to be identified in special education. Or, you know, this child who doesn't speak English, who um, must be cognitively impaired, um, right. because, or, you know, or have an intellectual disability because um, their English isn't very good. And they live in they live in this country. It must be an intellectual disability. There's just not enough di interrupting biases in order to to determine whether this child actually needs is is appropriately identified or maybe misidentified under representation. Over these, all these things play into how this disproportionality has happened. So it's, I don't think it's like well one size fits all or one answer to that question. There's a lot of factors that play into how a child, how children of color are um, just disproportionately in special education. But I believe that it starts with our belief system about minorities. So Right, right. It's interesting that you say even, even another black person misidentifying you, right? Yeah. It's, yep. it's almost so institutionalized, right? Yeah. That even it's just the it's just the way of thinking that everybody's just going to assume it's not the reality, right? right. Exactly. And I, and I imagine if you're saying that there's four percent of black lawyers, yeah, black, black people, lawyers in general. Mm -hmm. What the percentage of black women must be lawyers? <laughs> right. <It's laughs> very like, very small. <laughs> is it like below one percent? I mean, right. Like that, right? In, incredible. Right. So right. we talk about the the deficits, the cognitive, the, the mistaking of cognitive deficits as opposed to maybe misunderstanding access, right? Yeah. So access to the system. And we talk about as some of the reasons being, as you mentioned, poverty being a, a large problem with their yes. parent involvement, parent participation. Maybe you could just talk about that a little bit too, the parent, parental participation yeah. and, and, the, and maybe the inequities that go on uh, in the yeah. system. Yeah, definitely. Um, there, there's a lot of 
um, inequity when, it, when we're talking about parent parental participation. One of the things is just a, a lack of knowledge of parents' rights. Parents don't necessarily know what their rights are. Um, school districts don't tell parents. There's no like know your rights seminar. You know, your kids right. in special education now. This is all the things that you're allowed to do or what, you know, what the law says, what your rights are. There's no, there's nothing like that. The law requires that they have something called procedural safeguards, which is kind of like a hand. If you're, if you have a child in special education, you know about this. They give like a handbook, not a handbook, but like a pamphlet that has like all your procedural rights in it. Well, you know, if you're just, you know, if you're a lay person, one, you probably don't have time to read that. Two, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily, it's not really clear what, what it means. Mm-hmm. You don't even know what it means. Like it says what your, some of your rights are. But then the other part about it is simple things like if your child is going to have an IEP meeting or if you think your child needs special education, basic things like getting to a meeting. How do you know that, you know, a school district can say, we're going to have a meeting to discuss education or whatever. Or we're going to talk, talk about discipline. Right. The meeting is going to be on X date. Parents don't know by law that they can say, well, the meeting's got to be at the time that I can make it. Mm-hmm. Most times the parents are just going to say, well, I guess I can't make it. Um, right, parents right. have jobs, you know, that they maybe can't get off to go to a meeting. They have, they could get fired for going to a meeting. They may sure. not have access. If it's a virtual meeting, who's to say that they have access to the internet? They right. may have a phone. Who's to say their phone is turned on? Their phone, they might be disconnected for you know a period of time. You right. know, if they have to be in person, they may have other kids. I had a client once, she could she could barely leave the house because her son was in a wheelchair. She was living in poverty. Her son was in a wheelchair. He was non-speaking. He had a wheelchair that didn't work. His wheelchair was broken. Wow. She couldn't. And so that was a separate issue that she was dealing with with Medicaid. <laughs> right. The wheelchair sure. was, in bro- was broken. They hadn't fixed it. Um, so she couldn't leave the house. She couldn't go anywhere. Wow. She couldn't, you know, her, her son was, um, he was like 15 or 60. He's not a small, not a baby. Right. You right. know, so there's just different ways that um, parents don't know. They don't know how their rights when they go to meetings, when they're, when they have questions, they don't right. know they can ask questions. They're intimidated about you know what to ask. Sure. Um, school educators are educators. They they have been educated. They are the experts. It's hard sometimes for parents to say, "Well, I have a question about that." Other part is it's hard. It's like what I don't have a question because I don't actually know exactly what's going on here. Right. Exactly. I'm <laughs> you not know? interested in it. Yeah. And, so, and again, as you said, like a lot of people don't have the time for it because they're just overwhelmed. You know, right. uh, just trying to manage living. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, and so you're trusting this system to do right by your child. And that's a lot of giving up of your rights by trusting, trusting the system and the school districts. There's going to be a lot of them that are going to do well by you. But, you know, we know that it doesn't always work that way. And, exactly. Uh, Other thing I was going to add to it is that you have to also think about the the level of education, the level, the the things that a parent might be dealing with on their own, you know, parents, like any other human being in the world, it's not the only thing they have going on. Yeah. I've had parents that if their kids getting suspended so many times that they're, I had one parent that um, she lost her job. She couldn't work. Mm -hmm. Her kid was getting suspended so much. I've had parents that they have, like, again, like I said, they've had, they have other kids have parents that, they have their own mental health challenges. They have their own sure. challenges. They maybe they're not 
as literate as they should, you know, could be for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Because of the poverty, there's a chance that their education lacked. And so now you're talking about trying to understand their rights when the wording may just be completely beyond them. Exactly. And also, too, it's, you know, when you're talking about parent involvement, parent participation, one is really engaging parents in the process and letting the parents know that when we're talking about special education, whether, you know, whatever the identification is, is that the parents need to be a part of the process and you need the parents need to know, have the opportunity to ask questions more than one time. So if you tell parent a parent at a meeting um, this is what's happening. The parent might not get it all at that one time, but right. can they ask right. again? What mm -hmm. What are you What are we doing again? Can you tell me um, again? I have another question. Yeah. Doesn't the parents don't think? I don't think they always think they have that opportunity or they have that access. And then who do you ask? Do you ask the principal? Do you ask? Sure. Who, you know, all these people in this. Who do I talk to? And then what if they don't respond? Right. Then yeah. What? And then the intimidation factor, too, as you said, too. And, you know, you, you're afraid to open your mouth for fear that it might come back on your child during yes. the day and somehow. Right. And yes. potentially in the form of lacking lack of services. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know how hard I have to fight for certain students with parents, how hard they fight and how much I support them in trying mm -hmm. to get equipment, access to equipment that's appropriate right. for them and how long that can take. Even right. for we're talking about even families that are very wealthy. Right and well yes. off and educated. So right. I'm not trying to buy a biases towards any any one side. I mean, right. every uh, people of all stripes, especially if they're lacking education, they're going to come to that place where there is that intimidation uh, line where they're going to say, "I don't know enough to be able to push here," and they don't get the services that they need. That's so true. It's 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 so true, and, and that really, like you said, it spans all backgrounds um i mean i i've said i've gone to iep meetings and had the school district be very convincing about something and i was like wait that actually i'm like no 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 they're, they're not right i uh, you know what the law is they're wrong you know you got sucked um, in a little bit right? yeah yeah like they right about not nice. being evaluated it's like no that's not true you know um and I mean, I've presented, gone to meetings and I've, I've been with, the, I've gone to meetings with parents and I'll, the school will explain something and I'll tell the parent everything they just said, that's actually not true at all. This is actually what your rights are, you know, but every yeah. parent in the world, they may not have an advocate. And yes. I, I honestly believe that they shouldn't have to always have an advocate. I mean, there's I times that we are, we're going to parents and schools are going to disagree, but at, at the heart of it, it should be a collaborative effort for the kid. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like almost like, when you go to court, that if you don't have a lawyer, a lawyer will be appointed to you, right? right. So <laughs> when you go to a CSE meeting or an IEP meeting, you don't have an advocate, an advocate will be appointed to you. And that's, yeah. to me, how it should be, that advocates yeah. should always be present. And you can have the option of saying, I'm good, or have the option of at least talking to an advocate prior to prepare you for the meeting and have that have them there, that lifeline there for you. Right? Yeah, I love that idea. <laughs> it really should be. You need to talk to Congress about adding that to ID. <laughs> let's right? go. You and me, let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, speaking so. of, you know, with IDEA, I mean, they're, they're saying they're, they're supposed to address inequities and mm -hmm. in race and ethnicity, right? right? So one quote I found here um, in regards to it, um, if the gaps between groups, racial and ethnic, exceed state determined thresholds for significant disproportionality, the state must examine local policies and require the district to devote 
more of its federal special, special education funds to early intervention. Hmm. How does that go over with you when you hear something like that? I don't think that's happening. Okay. Um, that's my guess. And so I'm curious. I wanted to hear what you're, you're feeling. Yeah, about. yeah. I do not think that's happening. Different states have different um, early intervention programs and things like that. So I don't even know if, I mean, I definitely don't, in, in my experience, I don't think that's really happening. I don't see it. I don't see it happening. So what do you see more of? What do you kind of situations do you see more of in as far as like as far as family situations and as far as the disproportionality, the inequities, the National Center for Learning Disabilities talked about overrepresentation of black students in special education, particularly a higher ratio of boys. They said that these children are more often subjected to harsher discipline than others, labeled as emotionally disturbed, experience teacher bias, and if disabled, are more likely to be restrained and excluded from general education classrooms. So that sounds like it's not, <laughs> if that's <laughs> happening, then IDA is not happening in the right. way we were speaking. So can you speak to some of those things in your experience? Yeah, I've definitely seen harsher discipline. I've definitely seen the likelihood to separate a child and uh, a black child and put them in a separate program. I I see when we're talking about if there if there are any behaviors, I feel like a lot of times behaviors are treated it's almost like policing. Okay, this kid he he acted out. We don't, you know, there's not a lot of checking in to see what the triggers are, what happened, why, why did, why did this child in particular act out? Why yeah. did they have this behavior problem or why are they, you know, doing what they're doing? It's just, there's, there's assumptions that are made and those assumptions, unfortunately, can turn into, um, you know, identification for special education and over identification, you know. Again, I think emotional disturbance is the big one that we hear a lot about that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, um, in all honesty, I feel like in, in the time that I've practiced special education law, which is over 10 years now, I think I've, I feel like I've even been guilty of identifying the child, a particular child as emotional disturbance. And, and the more mm -hmm. I read and the more I think about it, I look back at kind of the earlier years and I, I think to myself, like, was I right? Did I make the right call by advocating for right. a child to be identified as an emotional disturbance. Was that the right call? You know, mm -hmm. um, because like, again, we're all just influenced by things and you yeah. see a child and they're acting out or whatever. I mean, and the other thing is when you look at how something like how a child is identified, I mean, I've seen the process where I'll give you uh, like two, two or three, Short examples. Sure. One was a child, black little boys. His mom was, they lived in poverty. His mom was um, recovering a drug addict. Very, very nice family. His mom was hilarious. She was really nice and supportive. And, you know, but um, her child, he was always getting into, he was bullied, but he was also getting into fights in school. He was getting into fights all the time and mm -hmm. he was suspended a lot. And finally, the school district decided they wanted to place him in a separate school um, just for children with behaviors. Um, but once we got involved, what they, what we realized is the kid couldn't read. He was <laughs> acting out in class because he couldn't read. Like he could not read, mm -hmm. you know, he was on like a first or second grade level. He was like four or five grade levels below. And right. he was in, he was in middle school. So add middle school 
onto a kid sure. that can't read. And he was also unusually small in stature for his age. And so he was, you know, bullied a lot and he was just acting out. And what it turns out, he had a specific learning disability, a severe mm -hmm. learning disability. Mm -hmm. And we stopped the process of him going to one, they were going to identify, they had already misidentified him as um, emotionally disturbed. So we had to get his, his identification changed. And then we got him, he ended up going to a special education school, um, but it was for children with specific learning disabilities, not an ED separate school. It was for children yeah. with specific learning disabilities. It was local. And he ended up doing excellent, excellent. And I don't know if he ended up going back to public schools. He might have, but I know when I talked to his mom, you know, she was like, he's doing really well. He's, you know, he's the head of the class. And I think to myself, what would have happened if he had gone to the school just for children with emotional disabilities? Mm -hmm. Didn't have one, you know? Right. He might have been lost forever. Right. He might have been lost forever. You know, yeah. and I, I have, I have, I can think of one other case, a girl, a little black girl, she had autism, but she had behaviors. And she was in, she was in a um, special education day school and the school really just did not want to deal with this child. The school didn't really, and so when she had behavior, she would, she would do all just, just different things, but she was non-speaking. She had a lot of behaviors in the school. Instead of them trying to figure out why she was having these behaviors, they were like, well, let's just start tracking them. Let's mm -hmm. track them. And it's like, we're building this record. And the question is like, what are you building this record for? Is it to support her or is it to build it against her? You mm -hmm. know, and I think that happens a lot with, with black children is if we create a record, we're creating it not to help, but to build a case against okay. this kid right. to put them in somewhere else. And that mm -hmm. happens way too much, way mm -hmm. too much. I've even seen cases where we're talking about behavior. Um, I can think of a case where here's an example of like harsh harshness. So by law, you know, you can be suspended. A kid he can be in special education and can be suspended, um, for, you know, for whatever period of time. But they can be suspended for like 45 days or more if they've caused severe bodily injury. Um, that's what the law says. And it could be more than 45 days. They could, be they could be suspended or expelled if they cause severe bodily injury or they bring a gun to school or something like that. Right. But I've seen school districts use that to get rid of the kid. And it, mm -hmm. it might not be, the law says the bodily injury has to be under like the criminal code. Like you have to put someone in the hospital basically. Okay. Yeah, I wanted and to so, ask what the extent of that was. Cause I mean, oftentimes kids are, you know, going after teachers or other kids yeah. and hurting them, but right, what's the right. level, right? Yeah, so it has to be, so I've seen school districts, I'm, I might have a client whose kid like pushed a teacher, but I, you have to ask, well, wait a minute, what happened to the teachers that go to the hospital? Were they, and and it, I don't mean to sound like I'm insensitive to teachers, but my point is, is these sometimes the laws can be used for harsher punishment than is what the law requires. Mm -hmm. And that's a way that that is done. It's like, okay, well, this kid, he, you know, he pushed a teacher. He, he swore at a teacher. Does that mean that he should not get mm -hmm. educated anymore? Like, right, is that right. what that, you know, or does mm -hmm. that mean that he needs some supports that you're not, that he's not getting right now and that could be provided? Or or do you even know what triggered right. what happened? So yeah, what was the antecedent leads me to several questions. One being the evaluation process, right? Yes. And assessment. And so that boy who didn't know how to read, where were these teachers in schools at 
prior to this happening that didn't track that he wasn't reading for all these years when he was now a teenager. Exactly. Right? How did that get through? Right. And, and I think that comes from looking at how are you viewing, how are you viewing this particular child? Mm-hmm. I, I will say in contrast, the case that I've had cases where with children that aren't black and they may be faced with discipline or may be faced with a label of emotional disability. And I've seen school districts, they gloss right past it. It's not even up for it's not even up for discussion whether this really? child this child that is not black is going to be identified as emotionally certain. like we are not even going to go there. Yeah, I don't care what what their disability is. We're not going to talk about that. We're, we're going to talk about whether they have a you know other health impairment, whether they have something else, and that's fine. But you don't see that a lot when you, when you have a black child. You don't necessarily see that. Well, wait a minute. It's like a lot of times, most of the time, you see. If ED is on the table, then then emotional disturbance is, is what it is. Wow. The other thing is I wanted, I just wanted to share about as far as emotional disturbance labels go, if you look at what the IDEA says, so all the all the um, special education categories, specific, specific learning disability, you know, OHI, other health impairment, you know, all the different categories to identify a child in special education are in the IDEA and there's definitions. This is another example of how parents don't have this information. Okay, kids, uh, we're going to identify your child as having a a specific learning disability or emotional disturbance. What's that? I mean, if I'm a parent, I don't know, you know, Um, and even as an attorney, when I go to meetings about eligibility, I bring out the law and look at it and say like, well, wait a minute. These are, this is how you identify. But the thing about emotional disturbance, I was just looking at the definition again tonight is it's quite vague. You know, there's some, there's a little bit of specificity, but it's like, you know, if you've had these behaviors over a long period of time, what's a long period a long, of time? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Very subjective. Right. You know, right. it's inability to uh, um, interact with, you know, students and staff. Well, wh- what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. What does it mean because their brother died last night and that's why they're not able to interact? Or does it mean because, you know, they're struggling in reading and that's why they're, you know, so like, it's so vague that yes, you could say, let's put these kids into that category because it's not that, it's not that difficult if they've had some, if they've had some behavior challenges that you haven't really examined or figured out how to support. Right. So So it easily can be easily abused. Yes. Yeah. And do you find there's a higher proportionality among blacks when it comes to this uh, this label? Can you speak to that? That just to support what we're saying here. I mean, I've seen it myself, but mm-hmm. I also was just reading. I think it was something in the National Education Association, the NEA, that was talking about okay. um, those um, disproportionality as far as the, being the probability of being identified with the disability under special education. But also, I think one of the things that we talked about, um, the, the that article by the Brookings Institution. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that, right? Yeah, yeah, that talks about over-identification. And there's some other statistics that I've seen. This is not just like me saying there probably are over identification. Like there's, you can, you can Google it and you can find like, there's, there's a lot of research that's been done on this about over identification, just under the category of emotional disability. So Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen that. So, right. 
where Brookings is saying, so this is where I was a little confused and trying to understand what they were actually trying to say. Yeah. Because they seem to say that when we're talking about black children and children of color, mm-hmm. particularly black children, let's, let's focus mm-hmm. on that because they're three times more likely to live in, uh, in a poor family mm-hmm. than their white counterparts. Food insecurity affects 23% of black. These are numbers from 2015, so it may be worse at yeah. this point or, or similar. Yeah. Um, hopefully it's better, but I don't know that it's better. Yeah, I don't know um, if that's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I mean, wishful thinking. Yes, you know? exactly. We'll try, <laughs> but not the reality. So when you take uh, other student characteristics, notably family income and achievement into account, racial and ethnic minority students are less likely to be identified for special education than white students. Now, is that because of access? Is it because of the confusion, the misunderstanding of what's going on? Because it goes against all the other, pretty much all the other studies that say, right, there's a larger, larger proportionality of blacks in special education. Yeah. um, Yeah. I've, I, at my, at my last job at Children's Austin, we did a, we had a whole like conversation about this article. Yeah. We really, really talked (laughs) about it. And I mean, I get it and it it makes sense, but it's hard to kind of explain because it's like, in my opinion, the kids that are, there are children that are, there is over-identification. That, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I do understand what they're saying when they say that there's kids that aren't being identified that should be identified. And I think how that, and I feel kind of feel like, let's say I go to an IEP meeting. My client has found me and decided that, you know, they want to have an, you know, have me come to a meeting. We go, the child is identified and this take out whether it's the right identification or not, but this child is put in special education. Right. But then as I'm walking out, I see some kid having a meltdown or something like that. And I'm like, Hmm, I wonder, are they getting services or do they have someone that is going to help them get services? You know, I, I, I can remember one meeting that something that a principal said makes me think about this article was that, which is that I went to this meeting and there was um, the client we were arguing because the, they didn't want to identify, they didn't want to evaluate this client, my client's kid. That mm-hmm. client, the kid was, she had two kids. They were both, one was four grades below and one was like six grades below level. And I remember saying, as I'm arguing, it's like, this child is like, you know, four grades below level. And the principal said, so is everybody else in the school, you know? And it, <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, I don't even know what to say to that, but yeah, it makes me think about this, opens this up a notion lot. of there's more ch- children out there, black children that aren't being identified, that that, that they are below level. In fact, um, in D.C., I was just reading this article um, in the Washington Post about um, the D.C.'s uh, like annual assessment of all students. And when they were talking about their, they were, this was an article from last year talking about, and their, their system is called PARC. And I don't know what PARC stands for. It's P-A-R-C-C. And their PARC assessment, and it it talked about how, like, for reading, like 83% of white students were meeting, like, their benchmark goals. And it was like only 23% of black students were meeting those goals. And I, I, I like did a double take. Like, are you serious? Huh. And like, Latino children were somewhere in between. They were like, they were like thirty six or forty percent. 
And so, it, but it was like astonishing to Astronomical me. difference. Yeah. 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 And so I think that there is, it's hard to say, okay, well, there's, there's over identification and then there's not enough identification. And it's a weird, I don't know what the, the term is, but I feel like these things do coexist. And mm -hmm. I don't, I need to probably know, I need to be, a, you know, have more knowledge of statistics to figure out why that is. But I definitely think that is the case. And, and again, mm -hmm. it goes back to a lot of the different factors that play in, play into what, how a child becomes eligible and if they do, or if they, if they don't, I mean, there's some, there's some, it depends on your view. I mean, if you think this kid's just never going to learn, I'm there's, and their parents don't care. So why would I, I, you know, refer them to special education or mm -hmm. this kid, whatever, for whatever reason, again, biases come into play on whether you think that this is something that this child needs help or they, they need support, or they don't need support. Mm -hmm. um, your view on special education. I mean, there's still this view, even though it, the law doesn't support it, that, you know, I've heard teachers say that I've heard parents say to me, um, the school said that I can't, that he doesn't, he or she doesn't need special education because you got to be really severe to have special education. So mm -hmm. you, you what does that mean? <laughs> right, exactly. Another general, like, word, another general word. Right, exactly. You, you know, your kid's not X enough to get special education services. And again, the parents are like, okay, well, they said that they can't get them. Right. And they're not going to ask or right. push it because they don't know and they're trusting. Right. And right. I mean, I, I, there's, you know, when a parent, when a, there's nothing more, um, I feel like distressing to a parent when I, when I've got the calls of like, my kid's been retaliated against because, because, you know, I call the school right. and, you know, right. like we mentioned earlier, the concern of retaliation. Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. a very real thing, retaliation. Very real thing. Yes, very and real thing. And, and it's one of those things that it's hard, even even if you have representation, if you have representation and you're fighting against the school and your kid can't toilet themselves and they have to sit in, you know, being soiled all day, even as the right. attorney, I can say something about it, but it's not going to stop that that kid had that experience, you know? Exactly. So it's really, really difficult. Traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it almost feels like the bias could lead in either direction, right? It could yeah. be that we're over identifying or we're missing, right? Yeah. They're not paying attention enough because there's a bias against. So it seems like it could really trail off in two different directions. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where the Brookings report got me initially was like, wait, what? And then I thought, okay, well, maybe that's how I start to and kind of interpret the possibility that that's not necessarily what they're saying in their report, but that's kind of what's coming out of it for me. That's kind of like the lesson or, or whatever I, I, I took from it. Does that, does that seem to make any kind of sense to you? Yes, it, totally. And, and that's the reason why we ended up when I was at Children's Law Center having a whole discussion about our whole team, because we, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, wait a minute, what? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, well, I have to start rethinking everything now based on like what, like, is there truth to this? Is there not? Is there like, what does this mean? You know, it's, right. have we been thinking about this wrong all along? And, you know, but it, it, it I, I believe it's both. It's not just it. I think that's what they're saying. And that's what I got of it is like mm -hmm. what you just said is that there's, there's this over identification and then there's this, there's students that are being missed. There's missed. still students that are being missed or if they, you know, they're not, they're not being, and, and there's harm both ways.
I think that's mm -hmm. the thing it, to keep. Yeah, exactly. And so maybe that because I looked at it as like, oh, wait, this is kind of disadvantaging the argument. Right. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. but the more I looked at it and the more I thought about it, I thought, oh, OK, maybe it's just the reality. What's uh, what's the solution? Potentially, are they calling anybody out? Are they saying that the system's broken and needs to be fixed, which we know the system is broken? Right, right. <laughs> it needs to be fixed. Just talking about even like in inclusion, special needs kids included into yeah. regular schools, right? I right. mean, in New York, in New York City, they have the District 75 schools and these kids are completely isolated, right? Okay. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what it's like in D.C., but, you know, when we talk about it's a, it's a whole other discussion to have the inclusion discussion. Yes. Um, right. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, just really kind of want to focus in on the the large numbers of, of children who are being disadvantaged. I found out what PARC stands for just to, to oh, okay. look it up. It says the Partnership for Assessment of Readiness for College and Careers. Yes. Yes. Um, and so uh, it assesses mathematics and English language arts literacy. Yeah. ELA. Yeah. Based on the Common Core Standards. Yeah. So based on the Common Core Standards. Right. right. Yeah. So that's yeah. what that's what is people wanted yes. to know. So you've you've implied basically what you do, but maybe you could speak more to the, the specifics of what you do when you're helping families. Yes, I've been a special education attorney for. Let's see, I've been practicing. Um, I will just say this: more, most of my career has been, been. I've been practicing for eighteen years, so okay. I would say fourteen of those years involve special education. And when I represent families, um, it, I go to IEP meetings with them. I um, participate if the IEP meetings. I go to IEP meetings with them if there's a disciplinary case so if there's something to do with discipline as far as suspensions and things like that i can participate in something called what they call manifestation determination meetings so i can go with the parent to those and advocate for the child you know if it if they don't need to be suspended mm -hmm. um writing letters to the school interacting with the school district i'm basically the representative representative for the parent and the child it, it, it might include going to a due process hearing where where and that's after you have the IEP meeting and things don't go well and you decide that you want to have a hearing officer or depending on where you live, an administrative law judge decide, uh, you know, whether you should get the, that your child should get these particular services or not. Mm -hmm. So I would go to the administrative due process hearing with parents and advocate on their behalf. In an administrative due process hearing, we usually put on, well, not usually, but you always have to put on witnesses. You might have a, a you know educational advocate to testify about special education. Someone who's an expert in special in um, special education. They may have a master's in special education. You might have a psychologist testify. You know about evaluation and data and things like that. If if you lose one of those, then you know I can file an appeal. Um, so I do that as well. And then as far as some of the just some of the steps of just making sure that. I mean, I think when you're talking about the special education process, um, I mean, part of it is also the advising of making sure a parent understands the process. I think for special education to be sustainable, for parents to know to know what they didn't know before, is they also have to know what their rights are. And that's part of my job is to make sure that parents know, you know, what, what their rights are. It's my job to make sure they explain. I explain it to them in a way that they can understand so mm -hmm. that even when I'm, you know, I'm not anyone's lawyer for life, I want my clients to be able to, to eventually be able to one, hopefully not have more special education 
issues, but if they do, being able to advocate, self-advocate, or if they can't self-advocate, be able to come back and say, I asked for notice. They didn't give it to me. I told them, you know, whatever. So those that's kind of this, the, what I do. You know, I know how to look at read IEPs and, um, you know, evaluations. I'm obviously not an education educator or an, an expert in those areas, but just doing this work long enough that I can, I can kind of evaluate the situation um, yeah. in that way. So, And I'm sure you've met plenty of teachers and, and school officials where you have a better, a pretty good idea. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I'm good ones and and the not so good ones. And, exactly, and I'm also yeah. fortunate because my mother is a special. My mother, oh, <laughs> yeah, she's a special education teacher. So I kind of grew up. I kind of have a little cheat, a little cheat code because my I grew up hearing about IEPs my whole life, pretty much. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> just know, call it an advantage. Let's not call it cheating. Let's call it. Yeah, an that's advantage. true. It's right. an advantage. Yeah. So yeah. you know, and my mom. My mom, and I mean, I know I mean, you're talking about a lot about teachers, but again, I, I, I do want to say there are allies out there. My mom is a good example of that. My mom mm-hmm. is a teacher. She works for the school district, but right. she will fight you tooth and nail to make sure a child has what they're supposed to have, you know? Yes. And there are a lot of teachers out there that are like that. It's not every everyone in the school district is not bad. There are allies. There are people that want to help children and support um, so yeah, so my mom's special education yeah. teacher and my sister's a speech language pathologist. So I have these kind of, you great. know, people that I can kind of bounce off. <laughs> sure. It's great insight. And I can support you on that when it comes to the teachers, you know, I feel like teachers can only go so far, you know, cause it yeah. comes down to the administration and what the administration is right. deciding they need to do or they want to do. And I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've argued one way in support of a family and a child and it didn't go that way and it was very mm-hmm. frustrating because i felt like who knows the kid best me who's with that child every day and the family who's with their child every day right yeah those are the sources that you really feel i feel like you but then sometimes just a few people they've got the they've just got that little bit of an edge with an administrator potentially and it could just bias them yes you know, it's just uh, it, it's humanity, right? We're human, right. so these things are going to happen. And because yeah. we have systemic racism in our country, and so the, that's that's human nature, right? So right. these are things that we've learned. Again, referring back to even black people who assumed you weren't the lawyer, right? So yeah. it's in it's in the DNA, right? Unfortunately, right. and so there's going to be those biases, but there are those teachers that will fight, and yes. teachers that don't see color, yes. don't see nationality, and that's right. a beautiful thing. And you know, when we talk about education or lack of education for certain families, there's also language barriers too. Yes. Yes. From other countries. And so, you know, trying to understand that's like, you're a doctor, you're the doctor, you do, you know, like the old fashioned one, we grew up, but you were a doctor, the doctor was right, the priest was right, everybody (laughs) was right. (laughs) Right. 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 Meanwhile, we find out later that they're very fallible. And so um, to be able to educate, so what can be done, do you think, or do you see anything being done beyond, because again, there's these black families that are coming to you yeah. and you, you can represent them. Whereas do you feel like there's enough representation for them out there for people that they can go and they can put their trust in? And, and if there isn't, then what can be done about that thoughts? Mm-hmm. Not that we have the answers to everything. Yeah. Um, and then the system it's and then the system itself i mean we know that the bias the racism is out there we just you know how how do you turn the tide on it you know yeah i mean i would say first um no there's not enough there's not enough 
people to, there's not enough advocates, or there's not enough lawyers to advocate for um, families, black families in particular, um, about special education. There's, there's not enough, there's not enough access. Um, the other part is when you talk about special education law, it's such a small area of law. And um, the okay. advocacy that goes along with it, because you can be an advocate and not an attorney and still help. But the other part is that it's it's such a it's kind of a it's a complex area of law. So finding the right help is also a challenge is is um, there's a lot of people that know anyone that can help is great. But sometimes people don't know what don't know special education as well as they think they do. And sometimes it ends up being more harm than mm -hmm. um, good for parents. And also the other part is, is that overall listening to parents, I guess I'm kind of getting off, off topic, but okay. overall, you know, it's important to listen to parents. I think that gets so lost in special education so many times that it's really important to listen to what parents are saying. They are the experts on the kid. They live with right. that kid every day or they they share custody, whatever. They know this kid, mm -hmm. you know, and they're not and and so they're not the least knowledgeable in the room, which I think sometimes they're treated that way, right. which is a problem. So, um you you've got to listen to the parents. Whether they seem educated to you or not. Listen to right. what they have to say and try to figure out what they're trying. If you don't understand, ask, ask the parent, what do you mean by that? What are you trying to say? How are you, you know, so those things are important. And I the think sensitivity that, to the, I'm sorry, just the sensitivity to, to knowing where people are coming from. Too, right. 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 Anyway, I don't mean to sidetrack it. Just the, to no, me, no, that's, that's okay. I mean, I think about this one particular case where the child what was non-speaking and the mom, she, she had to commute, the kid had a communication device. But the school wasn't using it. They were kind of giving it to her to use. And so the mom was like, this is not communication. You, right. you, you're having her use it, but you don't use it. And it, I hate having, I hate the idea of my child not being able to communicate. And it's something that really like stuck with me because I, you know, I was doing my advocacy and I was like, she is so right here. And, you know, kind of encouraging her to like continue explaining this to the, the to the school district to all of us educate right. us all because right. you're the one that really knows but also i mean i feel like as far as finding people to help one i feel like parents have to try to educate themselves as much as they can try to learn as much as they can try to ask questions overall don't be afraid to ask questions and that's for any parent <laughs> whatever yes. color you right. are wherever your parent comes <laughs> exactly. from Exactly. Ask questions and do not be embarrassed to ask questions. I've gone to meetings and I will ask the most basic question. I may or may not know the answer to it, but I want the school to, I want the parent, I want to model for the parent that you can ask whatever question that you want to ask. It does not matter. They right. should be able to explain it to you. You know, so learning as much as you can look in, if that just means Googling something, if you can, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you have teachers that are allies, you know, like we talked about, there's some really great teachers out there talking to them. Um, right. Sometimes teachers will say, you should do this or you shouldn't do that, or go talk to this person. They'll help you, right. you know, um, right. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's some teachers that have some big hearts out there that, you know, find someone who, who is an ally, even if it may be an old teacher that you don't have their kids not in that class anymore, but, you mm -hmm. know, try to, you can find allies that way. So that's some of the things I think for on the other side, the systemic side is a whole nother level because I feel like. We talked a little bit about, I think we talked a little bit about evaluations and things like that. And 
Mm-hmm. Evaluations do do have biases in it that could that could skew how a child is identified or how a child is looked at or assessed. Um, so mm-hmm. evaluations, policies, procedures, those things need to be looked at again, and they need to be constantly looked at. This needs to be a it's not a one and done. Right, it has right, to right. be constantly reviewed to figure out. Are we doing, are we really evaluating this child in the best way? Give me an example of how something could be wrong. My mom, yes, she, she does the uh, Woodcock Johnson, which is an educational yep. assessment to identify if a child has academic needs that qualify for special education. Mm-hmm. But so one of the, so the, in, that, in that test, one of the things she, you have to do is kind of like identify pictures. And she's like, there's no randomness. You can't say if, if the word they have to say is hen, it has to be hen. It can't be chicken. So if you say chicken, then that's wrong. But one of the things that stood out to me is one of her, uh, one of the students that she worked with, um, a black child, um, she had, it was, there was a fire truck. And my mom said, like, what does the, where does the fire truck, what, you know, what does that mean? Or what does that go to? And instead of the child saying it's going to a fire, the child said, somebody must have been killed. Because mm-hmm. that's um, their Somebody got shot. Okay. Now that doesn't mean that kid isn't smart. But it's going to show up on the value that they, that was wrong. That wasn't the right answer. The right, and right answer was fire trucks going to a fire. But that's so, his reality. That that could be his reality. That's what he sees a fire truck being used. For. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we have to think about different. How are we evaluating? How are we looking at? And like like you said before, we're not even talking about children that speak a different language or that's English is not their native language or at home right. English is like they're they're linguistically diverse. So just figuring out how are we assessing children of color, professional development for teachers, school mm-hmm. systems, l- trying to become culturally aware, culturally competent, interrupting bias, your bias. Why do you think that way? Why does this kid need to be suspended? And why do you think that they have an emotional disability? Or why do you think they have an intellectual disability? What's mm-hmm. the basis of that? Is it just that you just think that, or is it, you know, what's the data to support? And then question the data. Where is this data coming from? How is it collected? It's just so many different things. So much. I mean, there, I mean, I I could talk for another hour on this I mean, or two hours. I mean, there's so much to talk about. It's like to be able to talk about this in an hour is almost unfair because you can't delve deep enough into these things. Now the question comes to mind. It's like, well, then if we need to have teachers that are a little bit more aware, maybe we need to hire more black teachers, but then we, well, and then we go into the college system and the 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 graduation rate uh, of black children in, from high school and how many what's the percentage of black children that go to college and we know right? that. and so it's just it's it's crazy so it seems like what i got from you really there's always going to be the bias and there's always going to be people that don't listen to you but parent education yes parents educating themselves seems to be the thing that can actually happen. Yes. And so if we can somehow make that the, the, the focus, then parents can at least go into these meetings and not be walked over or, or, or understand where they're being kind of slighted and their kids being cheated out of their, their appropriate resources and, and accommodations. Yeah, that's true. And, I, and the thing is, the more parents are, and especially feel like in the black community, the more parents that are educated about these, the more that they share, that they can share that information. I've had parents that 
a couple parents that are like now advocates and they'll tell other people, right. you know, word of mouth is no, you don't have to do that. When you go in this meeting, this is what you do. And that's mm -hmm. a beautiful thing to me because I'm not involved in that. That's them learning, have learned, mm -hmm. and they're taking it and they're sharing it with other people in the community, which is a beautiful thing, you know. And more parents know, the more they can share, the more they have power, you know, in these meetings. Right. Yeah. And I guess, the you know, create support groups so more people yeah. can come and you can reach more people that way. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been thank you. so cool. I, I know that there's so many more questions than there are answers. Right. But the reality is that we know these things exist. There's, there's, there's definitely uh, an inequity going on. Yes. And it's not that it's real new and surprising, right? Right, right. But, you know, hopefully we can get some more ears to hear it. Yes. And maybe start to do some things about it. Yes. Um, and maybe we can revisit down the line again because, and we can talk maybe more specifically about certain couple of things and yeah, and peel back the onion a little bit further. Yeah, definitely, right? definitely. But yeah, there's a lot, and and so grateful for what you do. And thank you. Keep doing keep doing the great work. And, thank you, uh, and I, I appreciate you too. And thank you for for having this podcast and spreading this information enlightening so many people so i appreciate we need people like you we really do so Thank you. <laughs> really sweet. i appreciate it i appreciate <laughs> it I, I i love to do it and um to me it's the way to be able to help more people yep. than you normally can so yep. we'll both keep doing our thing yeah and, <laughs> yep. and keep keep that comedy coming because okay i will we need it we need yeah. it time. Thank you so much again, and I wish you all the best, and uh, be in touch. Thanks, Mark, so much. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. I want to thank you for listening today, and I hope you'll join me for each episode to hear about topics new to you or close to your heart. I hope this podcast might inspire you to face your days more confidently, stirring a greater sense of self-love, mindfulness, and outpouring of goodness and positive role modeling for your children, while remembering to attend to the areas of your own mental, physical, and if you're inclined, spiritual health, enabling you to be all you hope to be for them. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Special Ed Rising and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. You can connect with me directly with questions, comments, or if you're interested in parent coaching through my email, specialedrising at gmail.com, or my contact pages on Facebook or my website. Also, let me know if there's anything you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising.